right. If you need an outline, wave your hand there, and we'll have Brother Alvin get you one. Uh, this is our continuing series in Go Ye Kids, Please Go Ye. And uh, there we go. And again, this, this section of our, our study is mostly uh, an overview here. And uh, so we are moving very summarily, just touching on a few points, uh, trying to do a complete survey of the Bible. What we're doing here is highlighting the human authorship, and, and the human factor in the Bible. There are so many wonderful things uh, in the Bible. And uh, uh, our, our young man uh, who gave a testimony in Sunday school was talking about the oath that Abraham uh, swore and all of these things. And, and really, if you just want a very simple thing, in, in the Orient, even to this day, when someone uh, agrees with something, you see people bowing. How many of you are familiar with that? Uh, uh, And what that simply is, is when you bow your head like this, you are defenseless. And what you're doing is you're saying, I trust you that when I bow my head, you will not try to kill me. And the hand under the thigh, just to clarify that a little bit, was, I, I trust you to touch me, that, that we can have an agreement here, uh, that, that, I, that we have a closeness, a, a, a oneness of unity in this thing, that, that we are in agreement. It's just an oriental custom. It lets you see into the hearts and lives of people. Ruth, sleeping at Boaz's feet. Uh, I'll tell you what, if Hollywood tried to make a movie about Ruth, and in fact, uh, how many of you have ever been to Sight and Sound in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania? There is another one in Branson, Missouri. And uh, they did the story of Ruth, and I'll tell you what, they read all kinds of things into that story that were almost vile. And there's nothing vile in the Bible account. All Ruth was doing was giving notice to to Boaz that if you will be my kinsman redeemer, I am willing to marry you. And and that was what Naomi told her to do. Boaz got the message, and and, uh, that's all there was to it. And people love to read. I mean, how uh, how many of you have ever seen the Ten Commandments, the, the old movie? Man, I hate that thing. Oh, everything in that. Do you? I remember watching it with my kids because I remember watching the watching it on television, and, and I never saw the dancing girl part. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh, that's, turn this off." Where? Well, Cecil B. DeMille was using the Bible to slip things in that would have otherwise been totally offensive and against good taste. But because it was in a biblical context, everybody accepted it. You know what? The Bible was very discreet in how it handled those things. The kids don't need the bad details, and the adults completely understand what was going on. 
That's our Bible. Amen? And it gives us a vision. And there are many things in the prophets. I'm still waiting for Zephaniah chapter 14. When Jesus steps on the foot, puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. And uh, I've often argued with the, uh, the pointy heads that try to tell us that the rapture is after the tribulation and all of these, or during or that. No. When Jesus steps on the Mount of Olives, the whole world is going to know. Acts chapter 1 The angels told the disciples in like manner as you have seen him go. That was private, only with the disciples. You see, two different events. You cannot find correlation between those two events. It it doesn't work. And how simple it is to understand your Bible if you'll simply read it. How many of you have ever read instructions to something, to assemble something? How many of you went, read through the instructions, closed them up, and put it together perfectly without ever looking at the instructions again? Anybody here like that? Okay, we got a few whiz. Uh, normally, I read the instructions and I'll put them in a very handy place uh, uh, so that I can check them from time to time. So that I can make sure that I have the right AA going to the CC with the bolt UU going into the whole AB. You know, I mean, they just, uh, you know, it's simple to understand assembly plans as long as you have a PhD from MIT, right? Uh, That's the way the world often works. So why do we expect to be able to buzz through the Bible the first time and understand everything that's in it? God made some things difficult in this book because he wants you to read it over and over and over and over again. Heard an interesting ad on the uh, radio. Uh, They were doing something that says, If you have problems meditating, you might need to hire a coach to help you meditate. Uh, If you can... This is what the doctor said. He said... If you can afford it, it would be it would be in your best interest to hire a professional coach to teach you how to meditate. Not everybody can do it, but but uh, that is the simplest way. Well, how about cutting the cable and, and unplugging the stereo and filling yourself up with this Bible till it starts running out your ears? I promise you, if you do that, you'll meditate on this book called the Bible. You won't be able to help yourself. The problem is we got too many distractions. That's another sermon. But as we we look through the Bible here, we've come through the Old Testament. We've done a survey there. Now we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Sometimes these are referred to as the history of... Uh, of the uh, New Testament, and certainly they are. Uh, Most often they're called the Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. And the word Gospel simply means good news. That's all it is. It's the story of Jesus. 
Now, here's what people do with them. Well, let's just finish here. I'll keep in the outline. Is The Gospels give us the story of the birth, the baptism, the ministry and miracles, and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we get from the Gospels. We, we get the life of Christ. And um, the unity of the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is unbelievable. How many of you have ever witnessed an, accident, an automobile accident? Not that you were driving, but you, you saw it happen. You were a witness to that accident. And so what normally will happen, uh, especially if there's bodily injury or a lot of property damage, is the police will show up. And, and they're going to ask you a question. Did you see the accident? Said, so, well, I was just right over here and I heard it. And as soon as I heard, I turned around and I saw the accident. If you've done that, the officer, if he's a good officer, will say, thank you very much. And he's going to ask, did you see the accident? Uh, the other, what was it, last Sunday, Philip? We had one of those guys on one of them little motorcycle, motor scooters come buzzing around the corner. And there was a delivery guy on an electric bike right in front of him. Bam! Uh, the, the guy on the electric bike ended up on the ground and he got carted off in the ambulance. Uh, uh, was not moving his leg and looked a little weird. And uh, uh, and so the police were there and they were talking to this guy and talking to that guy. And and uh, Philip comes up and says, Dad, I saw the whole thing. I was standing right there in the glass window looking through the cross. I saw it. I said, well, I said, let's, uh, let's go tell the officer. So we went over there and waited and uh, the officer's talking, turned around finally said, can I help you? I said, well, my son here saw what happened? He said, did you see what he said, Andrews, uh, Philip, I'll get the right name. Officer has the right name. Uh, he, he said, uh, yeah, he said, I was standing right there in the window. I saw the whole thing exactly as it happened. The guy on the motorcycle came right up and just smashed into the back of the poor guy on the bike. And the officer said, thank you. He said, I don't know that we're going to call on you, but if they need witnesses, he says, I got your name. And, and he took my cell phone number to get a hold of him. And he's and so far, we've been fortunate. They haven't called back. But there are always differences in testimonies. You see, that is a key to knowing the difference between the truth and what is called collusion. How many of you have heard that term here recently? Uh, if you're following political news, it's collusion! Uh, because they couldn't get... Uh, I, I wish there was a charge of obfuscation on the part of the Democrats. Boy, we could convict right now on that. But anyway, we'll keep moving on here. Um, if there is no difference in the testimonies, chances are the testimonies have been rehearsed. If there are little differences, now we know that people are telling... Policemen know this. Anybody that sorts through evidence knows this. You see, if the Gospels gave robotically identical accounts, then 
what would be the charge of the critics? Oh, they're all, they all copied each other. And uh, the fact that there are little differences adds to the veracity or the truthfulness. Do you know that Matthew and Luke and John, uh, Matthew and, and John used the, the Hebrew calendar, whereas Luke, most of his references in time and dates were, were the Roman calendar. And uh, uh, these will make apparent contradictions, but if you'll just study it out, you'll find out they're talking about the same stories. Now, there are other people who like to take all the stories and cram them together. You take the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, the first one that washed, her, washed his feet with her tears, and they try to say that that was the same thing that happened in Matthew, I mean, in uh, John chapter 12, the night before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But those are two separate events. They're separated in time, they're separated in place, and they're separated in sequence of events. Now, I wish we had time to point all that out to you on a chart, but uh, go home and read it for yourself. The one woman was a sinner. The other was a hostess at a supper that the Pharisees and scribes were there. One washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head, whereas Mary broke the box and poured it on and filled the room with the smell of the ointment. You see, all you have to do is read. Now, Luke gives us many historical time references. He tells us the year of the Roman governor Cyrenius and the year of the Caesar and, and, and all of these references. And Matthew is constantly, as it was written in the prophets, he's giving us these things. And, and John constantly refers to Jesus' references to his own deity. And we'll get to John in a minute. And Mark... Mark, if, if, if we were to put this in a modern narrative, Mark would be the color commentator. He, he adds those little bits of information here and there. We believe that he was connected with Peter and that most of his narrative and the details, many people believe that little story uh, of the young man who was in the garden when Jesus was arrested and ran away and they literally grabbed the guy's clothes and uh, most people believe that was Mark telling about himself. He had snuck out with the disciples and watched Jesus and almost got caught. And, and uh, those kinds of things, it's just wonderful information to have. It, it tells you that it was real and it's living. Now, let's just deal with some of the, um, what was the contrived information. Uh, that's why I put in your notes there, i.e. a pack of lies. Uh, these are things that are just made up about the Gospels. And, and uh, some people try to make Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, 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 I'm sorry, they, they deal with the, the greater unity, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and say that John was written very late, that actually... John was not written by John. It was not written as a story about Jesus. It was written to emphasize certain doctrines that the church, that the disciples wanted people to believe about Jesus that Jesus never taught. Now, that's a pack of lies. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but P- 
people will say these things, and if you read their books, you're going to hear about them. And then I've met people that say, well, Matthew was written to the Jews, and Luke was written to the Gentiles, and then they build doctrine on this thing. Now, I don't do that. Simply because there's no place in Matthew's book where it says it was written to the Jews. And Matthew was a Hebrew man with many Hebrew references. Why can't we leave it right there? Luke had a lot of Gentile influence. And I am a dispensationalist historically, I believe that God moved different times, and and we've taught through that many times. But, I don't need four different Gospels and four different groups to pour four different types of revelation out and build a, a house of doctrine based upon the surmising of man. We don't do that. We take the simple accounts of the Gospel messages as they are, And they tell us the story of Jesus. And if you know the story of Jesus, guess what? That's all you need to know. Amen. It will solve. I love that song they sang. The answer is Christ. Amen. The answer is Jesus Christ. And that is the truth here. You see, you will meet them in different places in many different ways. Someone will say, well, yes, the... The, the Gospels are, are the record of Jesus, but the only part of the Scriptures that really apply to us is the writings of Paul. Now, if you ever hear somebody say that, don't argue with them. Because, number one, you will lose. They will tie you up in little tiny knots, and you won't know what's going on, because this is the way those people were trained. You see... Paul put it this way. Parts of Scripture are given by inspiration of God and prop. No, he says all Scripture, doesn't it? There's not one verse in the Bible that I cannot use to understand doctrine. But I've got to put that doctrine in context. The Ten Commandments are not a pathway to righteousness. It is a condemnation of sin. That is the Ten Commandments job. They teach me that no matter how good I live or how many things I do, I'm still guilty before God. That's doctrine. Reproof. Oh, I wish we were a little better at reproof. I'll write something. uh, wrote an article for the Baptist Times recently, and I always have my spell checker. I I usually run it through the one on the computer, but my wife does a better job. Uh, And and I'll take it up and she says, I'm going to have to mark this up. And uh, don't you get upset at me now. And uh, and I do my best. Uh, uh, You never have that problem, do you, Brother Mike? Okay, I didn't think so. But uh, you know what? None of us like being corrected. But if we could learn to take correction, it would solve so many problems in life now, wouldn't it? If we could just learn, that's, that's what reproof is. It's understanding that you're wrong. If you didn't understand you were wrong, you're on your way to hell. Hello? 
But see, then there comes correction how to make it right. And then comes instruction in righteousness how to keep it right. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I love my Bible and, and this is what the Bible says. Te- and don't chase doctrinal oddities. Wow. There are just so many things out there. You can get caught up. Uh, I think it's Brother, yeah, Brother Dave Hardy's the one that coined the phrase, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Uh, and uh, more than likely, you'll end up in both of them before you get to glory, right? Uh, and the goal is to stay out of the ditches. But I've met people that have gone so far to seed on believing their King James Bible that they perverted other doctrines. I don't know how you do that, but they've done it. I- I've met people that were so local church that they hated everybody. Now, that's not Bible doctrine. I've met people that have done all kinds of crazy things. You know what? I don't have to get out a genealogical chart of apostolic succession. That's what the Catholics do. And you know what? It's a verifiable forgery. There is no way. I always love to ask this question. What was Nero doing to Christians in 68 A.D.? I, I have a picture in my office. He'd take poles and he'd dip them in pitch. And he'd either impale them on the pole or tie them to it. And he would light them on fire and use them for human torches to light his garden and the, and the circus at night. So what do you think would happen if somebody goes running around, I'm the Pope of the Christian church, I'm the guy in charge. Nero's going to say, I've been looking for you. You're on the pole. How come that didn't happen to these guys? Uh, Because they weren't important enough for Nero to get. They weren't doing nothing. I know that's not good English, but it describes the situation far better than uh, proper English does. You see, people love to write things that help themselves. They love to tell things. I've often used this example. Let's say Brother Jet was at the hospital and there he is with an IV in his arm and said, Brother Jet, you don't need any of this stuff. Be healed. And he got up and walked out. Now, he would enjoy that. And the doctors would go, wow. But if, if I could do that, and I can't. If that could be done, and I taught you something that wasn't in the Bible, would you believe me or the Bible? How many of you say, I believe the Bible? Scripture trumps. I uh, can't use that anymore. Uh, <laughs> Scripture takes precedent over all other truth. Amen? And you see, the Antichrist, when he shows up, is going to use signs and wonders, and that's why the world's going to follow him. Jesus said that in his teaching in the Olivet Discourse in the Gospels. You see... If you come to a conclusion of something 
that is different from the Bible, well, then you're wrong. That's all there is to it. And if you want to get right, you start agreeing with the Bible. I've had people say, well, you think you're the only one that's right. No, I don't. I think this book is the only thing that's right. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have found yourself in disagreement with this book called the Bible? Would you just raise your right hand, please? If you've ever found yourself in disagreement with the Bible, would you raise your hand? If you don't raise your hand, you're in trouble because you just told another lie now, didn't you? You see, every time we sin, we're in disagreement with this book now, aren't we? Does that make me right and the Bible wrong? Does that make me some horrible creature that God can't save? Absolutely not. That's the reason I come to him, because this book is right. That's the thing I love about Heartland is I can send our students there and know that they're not going to get taught things that I wouldn't teach them here. Uh, they might get exposed. I've had them call, my kids call me back and other students, Pastor, uh, somebody said something. I said, well, you need to understand that in proper context. And, you know, sometimes preachers say things that just aren't quite right. Uh, and uh, have you, how many of you have ever said something that's not quite right? We all have. So let's just relax, grab our Bibles, and serve the Lord together. Amen? That's the story of the Gospels, is it not? Jesus took those 12 men. Of course, one of them was a traitor. And those 11 men did more to reach their world than has been done in any subsequent generation. It's an amazing story. We get to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is simply a history of the church. The book of Acts never contradicts the gospel record. It only reinforces the teaching of Jesus. And when the book of Acts is a little difficult to understand, how about going back to the gospels and using that for a context to understand the book of Acts? Uh, It'll solve those problems, and uh, we have... People trying to say that the church was started on Pentecost. How do you add to something that doesn't exist? Brother Jason, can I go into the bank and make a deposit if I don't have an existing account? Absolutely not. I've got to open an account first. So how were people added to a church that didn't exist? No, it was already there. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And we're praying. That Jesus will continue building his church here at Open Door Bible Baptist, Union Baptist, North Brooklyn, and, and uh, Morris Park Bible Baptist. Uh, that God will do the work. Because if we do it, it's not God's work. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about the struggle that went on with the book of Acts. Then we get to the Pauline epistles. Oh, by the way... Uh, the Council of Jerusalem, as recorded in Acts 15 and Galatians chapter 2, uh, my favorite term for that is just simply creative history. It, it was not a church council in the Word. There was no new doctrine uh, made. Uh, all they did was affirm that which they already had. 
But at the Council of, oh, I can't even remember the name of the place now, was a Council of Ephesus, I think it was, 514 A.D., the, what is now known as the Greek Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Church, as it was just Orthodox at that point, finally was able to settle that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Before that, preachers in the church argued that point. And they said that he wasn't the Son of God. Or he only assumed his deity when he rode the donkey through Jerusalem or he laid it aside when he got on the cross. Jesus was God from the moment that first cry in the manger until he ascended back into heaven and everything in between. Jesus was God when he was in the tomb for three days because only God could resurrect himself. And yet, I always like to argue with the Orthodox, it took you 500 years to figure out, actually 470-some to figure out that Jesus, finally make a decision, a definitive decision that Jesus is God. How in the world could you be Jesus' church and be arguing about that? Hello? You see, the book of Acts, Jesus' church never argued about those things. It was always the unbelievers that argued about those things. And, and so... Um, we, we come to the Pauline epistles, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And, and we've given you some dates here on the writings. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they believe, came very early. The Corinthians and Romans also uh, came uh, somewhat early. And then Galatians... Uh, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians were all written while Paul was in his first imprisonment in Rome. Remember that started in Jerusalem. He was in prison for two years. Then he was transported to Rome. And that's where the history of the book of Acts ends is right here actually with the writing of the book of Philemon, if we understand it correctly as Paul was soon to be released, and he wanted Onesimus, a slave that had been owned by Philemon, that had run away, and Paul had found him in Rome. And he said, I'm going to serve you, Paul. Onesimus got saved, and Paul wrote the wonderful book of Philemon, reconciling a slave to his master. You say, Paul, Paul endorsed slavery? No. He said, you're to receive Onesimus more than a servant. You receive him as a brother. Now, you tell me what slave owner treated his slaves like brothers. See, there is no slavery in the Bible. And even if there is, it's not what the world has. And we've, we've just got to blow apart the misconceptions and the misunderstandings then we have Paul's second set of letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, his last book, of course, was 2 Timothy. As Paul was in Rome the second time, he had visited the British Isles. As far as we know, he made it to the British Isles, the Welsh Baptist claim in their history that a man named Paul came and started their church. And... Uh, uh, the one historian says no one has been able to rightly refute 
that story. And so we then have Paul writing Timothy, and Paul was uh, killed then, but Paul's doctrine, guess what? You cannot find disagreement between what Paul taught and what Peter taught. There's no disagreement between what Paul taught and what Jesus taught in the Gospels. Paul claimed an equality with the other leaders. And Paul said, listen, I'm only a part of God's work. It was Peter that said in his epistle, to the elders who am also an elder. Strange language for the first pope now, wasn't it? Well, that's because he wasn't the first pope. He was just another preacher, another servant. And that's the way both Paul and Peter treated themselves. Do you realize that there is no new doctrine from the book of Acts to this present day? No new doctrines. Now, do we have to throw away our computers and say, I'm going to study the Bible exactly the way that Paul did? Absolutely not. We're not violating Scripture by using technology. But if we're not careful, technology will move us away from the Scripture because we'll read the commentaries instead of reading the Scripture. That's where we get into trouble. Or we'll insert our own ideas in there. I met a preacher one time. He says, well, I believe the King James Bible is a great translation. He said, but, but I do a better job on my own, so I use my own translation. Wow. You're smart. No. You're dumb. Why, why would you think that you as one individual can do a better job than 57 of the most learned men that have ever spoken the English language? That sounds rather arrogant to me. Uh, I'll spend my time learning to read what God gave me. You see, that's what Paul did. He told the, the uh, um, Colossians to read the letter to the Laodiceans and to pass their letter to the Laodiceans. And you know what? We never got Paul's letter to Laodicea. We don't have it. Somebody says, yeah, we need to find it. And no, we don't need to find it because God didn't preserve it for us. If he had, then we would have it. That's, that's why I'm not worried about the Gospel of Thomas. Number one, Thomas didn't write it. Number two, it's full of errors. And number three, Mr. Brown is quite eclectic in his scholarship. He only picks out those parts that he likes and fits in with his novels. And people buy those things. I remember when the movie, The Da Vinci Code, came out. Uh, several people, are you going to preach on the Da Vinci Code? Never have. If you're foolish enough to believe that stuff, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I'm not going to waste time to answer it because it is so far afield that it is beyond. The, the, the epistle of Barnabas and the, and the epistle of Thomas are part of what is historically called the pseudepigrapha, the false writings. That's the historical classification. If you want to get your truth out of history's garbage can, be my guest. But I'm not going with you. 
They, they tell me that there's enough food thrown away in New York City to feed the hungry people, all the hungry people in New York City. But I'm not going dumpster diving. I'm not doing it. Because I don't need that kind of food. I got what I have. I got what I need right here at home. And you know what? I don't need to go dumpster diving in the dumpsters of history. I got everything I need right here in this book. And we can see the personalities of the writers. We can see the humanness of the problems. Uh, You can feel Paul's angst as he is writing the Galatians. Can you not? Who hath bewitched you? Uh, I mean, read it the way Paul said it. I imagine he told the man who is writing for him, Underline it! I don't know if they had red ink, but he would have said, put it in red. Capitalize it. You see, we can read all of those things just by paying attention to our Bible. It's a most wonderful book. I mean, sometimes I think, well, we we should really take time, but I I want us just to survey the different parts of the book. The, The Gospels is just the story of Jesus, the book of Acts is how the disciples lived the doctrine that Jesus taught. The letters to the churches that Paul wrote were written to help instruct the churches on how to live the doctrine that Jesus taught. That's all there is to it. We have nothing new. What we have a problem with is obeying that which we have. Now, isn't it? That's where the problem is. That is the struggle that poor Timothy had as the pastor of the great church at Ephesus. Scared to death. Guess what? Timothy should have been scared to death because that fear drove him to rely upon the words that the Apostle Paul gave us. And they comfort us the same way they did Timothy. Amen? We need to follow what the Bible teaches. And all God's people said. We have one more survey. We'll finish the New Testament and the whole Bible. And then when we start... start studying the history of the translations and the preservation and and uh, I know it's Sunday night and you want to take a nap but listen close and we'll do our best I'll do my best as your pastor we this is information that you need because everywhere you go what we're talking about is being attacked you can't pick up a commentary in a Christian bookstore without them throwing some barbs in at the word of God Uh, Probably the most conservative set of commentaries I know about anyway is a man named Phillips. And and, uh, that's one of the most conservative. And and every chance he gets, it's universal church, modern versions of the Bible, 
uh, scribe every chance he gets, he throws his stuff in. It's been conditioned. None of that's true. There's no universal church. It's a local church. There's no errors in your Bible. And we cannot join the world. You see, sorry, the Lutherans were never part of Jesus' church. The Methodists were never part. The Anglicans were never a part. The Orthodox were never a part. The Catholics were never a part of Jesus' church. The Protestants are the Johnny-come-latelys. They're never, never a part. Because they come from a never part. You see, Jesus' church has always had the right Bible, and they've always followed the Bible. And their only organization was the Bible. And their only administration was the Bible. It's that simple. Everywhere we go, we're bombarded untruths about this book called the Bible. Over 40 men wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit from somewhere around... 1500 B.C. To, or 1600 B.C. up to 100 A.D. Somewhere in those names. It just depends on whose calendar you use. I'm not worried about the calendar. I'm worried about obeying the text. How about you? Can we do that? And we're going to try to go through these things in as understandable a manner as I can present. But what a wonderful book we have called the Bible. Spend some time in it. Read it. It's real Life stories of real living people who served the only true and living God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank and praise you for your blessings and for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to hold it in high esteem. Not, not just in word, but Lord, in our time spent reading it and in our life spent obeying it. Help us, Lord. And we'll take just a moment. If you need to slip out of your seat and pray, the altar's open. We won't play the piano, just time of quiet. And then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.